0: If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 22. We'll be starting in verse 22 and going into 23, and we'll be end at verse 11 this evening. I just want to reflect back really quickly on the song that we just finished singing together. Uh, that chorus, Lord of hosts, you are with us. Uh, that word host, you find it in the scripture close to 261 times, I believe. And that word host, it means army. And when you think about an army, if you've ever seen an army, that means there's a lot of people, a lot of soldiers. And think about what the song is saying, Lord, the Lord of hosts is with us. The, the, the one who commands the army, the one who gives the orders. When he speaks, they move. And we're, not talking, we're talking about, in this case, uh, angels, angelic armies, And as powerful and as majestic as they look, God is even more so. He's the general and he commands them. And this Lord of hosts, he's with us. He's with us by his spirit. We are not alone in anything that we face or will face. And we'll see this tonight as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. As Paul finds himself once again in a very difficult place, but he is reminded of even this very truth tonight, that the Lord of hosts is with him and he's with us as well. I just want to pray as we get started here this evening. God, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to look to your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would remember what this is before us, in this on these pages or on our tablet lord this is more than a book this is your living word it's by your word you spoke everything into existence it's by your word as we read earlier that you calm the storm lord it's by your word that you call us to faith in christ And Lord, we are to take you at your word as we walk through life, and we call that faith. And so I pray, Lord, this evening that you would increase our faith, Lord, that you would help remove the doubts that we may have, the discouragement that we may have, the disillusionment that we may have, that defeatist mindset that we could have, or whatever it is that's happening in our lives. and. Lord, there's bound to be something or several somethings happening in our lives. I pray that those circumstances would not be louder than your word. God, help us this evening to to truly hear what you have to say to us. And God, may we say yes to you and ever how you lead us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we begin this evening, we're going to be talking about the courage to continue as we look again at the life of the Apostle Paul. But before we get there, I just want to put a picture up here on the screen. Uh, This is a picture of me and my good friend Bill. And you'll notice Bill, Bill's the kind of friend that everybody needs to have because Bill, uh, he doesn't always take life very seriously. You can see by this picture in his face. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He's actually a pastor. He's the one that I've shared with you about many times He's actually dying of pancreatic cancer, and i'm going to see him this thursday and uh, This is a memory that I have with him uh, when we went to uh, The mega caverns in louisville, kentucky Now if you know anything about me There's a couple things that I don't like I don't like tight spaces and I don't like heights And this is exactly what you find when you go to the mega caverns. They have these things called mega zips. There's six zip lines and two uh, challenge bridges. And it takes two and a half hours to complete the whole thing. And these mega caverns, they're obviously, they're underground. They're some of the largest caverns underground, uh, I think in North America. And for two and a half hours, you're harnessed up. You have a headlamp on and you're pretty much in the dark and you're about close to 100 feet off the ground. And so, that made it worse for me. I already don't like heights, and the fact that I could not really see where I was going, even though I knew I was harnessed in, the picture just kept on going my mind. I said, what if my rope snaps? What, what, what's gonna happen? This helmet's not gonna do any good. Uh, and I was just concerned about the whole experience, and you may wonder, how on earth did he talk you even to doing this? Well, he kind of tricked me in a way. I was going to see him. And he says, hey, man, I got our, our time plan when you're here. When he picked me up at the airport, he said, hey, we're going up to Louisville and we're going to go zip lining." I was like, are you kidding me? You know me. We've been friends for nearly 15 years. You know that I don't do heights. So he says, well, here's the problem. I said, I've already made a re- reservations and I've already paid for the, our whole adventure. So, so you're going to have to do it. You're not going to just stiff me and, you know, make me not go. You'll have fun. I'll be with you. You'll be okay. I haven't heard of anybody dying. And so I think you'll be okay. And and so uh, he kept on proud of me. And I said, yes, because he did a good job and he knows how to make me feel guilty. And he did, because I didn't want him to be out uh, of his money and out of a laugh, because we certainly did a lot of that and more him laughing at me, trying to conquer this fear that I have. But Bill, that's the kind of friend that he is. He's always challenging me, encouraging me uh, to face anything that I fear and to do hard things. And so this is certainly was a hard thing for me, as I've said. And, but he was there with me the entire time. He was there encouraging me, reminding me, Eric, you're harnessed in. I know we're high off the ground. I know you don't like this, I know your heart's beating fast, I know your palms are probably sweaty, but remember, we're harnessed in. Yeah, d- d- just focus on what's in front of you, not what you can't see, just enjoy the journey. And enjoy it, we did, and needless to say, I'm here, I survived, but I will never do that again, I don't think. I don't, I'll never say never, but I don't really think, unless somebody wants to pay for me to do that, I think that's the only way I will do that. Uh, but in our text here this evening, we find the Apostle Paul in a far more perilous situation than I was, dangling over a zip line harnessed in. What we see here again is Paul's life is on the line, truly, because of his relationship and his faith in Christ, and because of his calling, namely to go and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we've seen this, have we not, through the life of the Apostle Paul? It seems like everywhere this man goes, he walks backwards into trial. He finds himself in difficult situations. And yet, we'll see yet again another difficult, dark time, perhaps, in his life. A moment that could have been a, a, a temptation for him maybe to go towards despair, but this is not what we see of him. Uh, what we see of Paul is he has, a, he has peace in, in the midst of this and We'll see why he has that peace is because of the words and work of Christ that enable him to be courageous and stay the course that God has mapped out for his life. And the big idea that I want us to keep in mind this evening as we work through this text is this, is that Christ gives us the courage to carry on with our calling. Christ gives us the courage to carry on with our calling. And I said at the beginning of the service, I kind of gave my definition, the courage is the, the ability to do the hard thing, the right thing, even if it costs, because you know that God is with us. And we see this to be true of Paul here this evening, and the Lord, quite frankly, he wants us to be true of you and me. God calls us to do hard things. And call, in fact, God calls us to do impossible things. What's an impossible thing that he calls us to do? He, he asks us to go and herald his message to other people that we can't save. He, but he wants us to trust him. He wants us to have faith, to speak up, to be bold, and, and to go and to tell. And it's not even our words that we tell that save. It's God's spirit moving. His, and, but we have to have the faith to go and to tell. And, and this is what we'll see tonight as we look at the life of Paul. We'll see that Paul had the courage to continue. And maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to throw your hands up in the air. That, that's a good thing. Uh, but may that be because you're surrendering your life to Christ. and You're not just looking for another way to do something because you're, you're just dumbfounded and you don't know what to do. We've all been in those situations and seasons in our life where we don't know what to do. And we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and you're like, God, you do it. And really that hopefully what God is teaching us through those moments is that he needs to be in control. He needs to be driving the ship. Uh, Cause he already is. And he's just kind of letting us along for the journey. It's kind of like with my three-year-old. He loves to sit in daddy's lap. Uh, when we get on our street and I'll pull him out of his car seat and we're only going like 50 yards, so I'm, his life's not in danger or anything, even though he's driving with me. and he's sitting in my lap, and I let him steer, steer, I, I let him put his hands on the steering wheel, and he thinks he's driving. But I have my hand on the bottom of the steering wheel, and I'm exposing myself here. I don't know if, if he's here, if he's asleep, hopefully he's asleep, and he, he doesn't get this, because he'll be arguing with me about that, even though he's three. But I have my hand on the bottom of the steering wheel, and, I, and I'm still in control. And that's ultimately how it got us. We we, we walk around in our lives a lot of times thinking we're in control. And there's symptoms of that, worry, anxiety, frustration, anger. Those can all be symptoms that we think we're driving, that we think we're steering, that we're in control of our life. But God has his hand on the wheel, whether we know it or see it or not. And so when we believe that and when we know that, it ought to give us courage. It ought to give us peace, even when things are difficult. And so... What I want to do first is I want to read the text for you tonight, and then I want to share with you a couple observations and some takeaways for us here this evening. So Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 22, please hear the word of the Lord. Up to this word, they listened to him. They raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, or he should not be allowed to live. What an opening verse. And they were shouting and throwing off their clothes, flinging dust into the air. And the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched out their whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, tell me that you are a Roman citizen. And he said, yes. And the tribune answered, I brought this citizenship for a large sum, Paul said, and I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had him bound. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews... He unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And they brought Paul down and set him before him. And looking intently at the council, Paul said to the brothers, I have lived my life before God in good conscience up until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? Verse five. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak of a evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when the, Paul perceived that one were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope, the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when they had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? Verse 10. And when dissension came violent, the tribune afraid of Paul would turn to peace, be torn into pieces. He commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Now, pay attention closely to verse 11, because we'll refer back to this, or this is really, really where the big idea comes from this evening. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So now you must testify also in Rome. Again, God gives us, Christ gives us the courage to carry on with our calling. Friends, know this evening that all of us who are in Christ have been called. What is our calling? We see this in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 through 20 to go and to make disciples. We are to go. And we go in the power of the Spirit who is with us, who is in us. And we see this in the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When God gives this promise to the disciples who are waiting on the Spirit to come, he says, hey, you will be my witnesses. And you, and you will take this gospel to the ends of the earth. And you'll do it in the power of the Spirit that is coming. And so God has supplied the courage that we need to fulfill our calling. And all of us are called here. All of us are are called to specific tasks, to certain situations. And we all have a calling that's unique unto us that we are supposed to fulfill. And some of our callings, they look different. Remember again, who who we are in Christ. We, We belong to him. We are his. There are some that are called in here that bear the name mom or mother. That is a calling on your life. And you are to do so with courage. And I believe every mom in here would say, it takes courage to be a mom. Same with being a dad and to lead your family. That's a calling that God has on your life. If you're a teacher, that is a calling. Again, God has called you to to teach them arithmetic or science or whatever it is that you're teaching them PE. That was my favorite. Whatever it is. But you have a calling even higher than that, to be his representative, to be his ambassador, to be his messenger of his good news and how we live and what we say. And so Paul here, we know his calling is to, again, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we, he does this by what? By going on these missionary journeys by planting churches, by encouraging them along the way. But now we find Paul, if we remember a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at this, the last time we were in the book, Paul was, was in Jerusalem, believing that this was God's will for his life. And we see again that Paul finds himself in trouble with the Jews. They are upset with him and they begin to besmirch his character. They, they, they physically beat him and, they have, and he is sent to the barracks uh, on the word of the tribune because they perceived him to be the problem. And so the Jews, they were upset at Paul. Why are they upset at Paul? They were upset at Paul for the way that he dealt with the Gentiles directly about the Messiah without first introducing them to Judaism and all its institutions, the, the, they were, Paul was not making much of Judaism and its institutions. Rather, he was focusing on the fact that the Messiah had come. And this was irritating to them, so much so that they were doing what they're doing. They, 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 they got a crowd into a frenzy, and, and they had him arrested, and they were ready to beat him. They saw Paul as the heretic of the highest order. And yet, what we see here with Paul uh, is that he does not respond in probably the way that you or I would, even though uh, it may feel good to do so. And what we'll see again here is that Paul's life, he continues to be harnessed or anchored in, tethered to God's call, God's word on his life that helps him stand firm, and we know from other letters, to finish his leg of the race well. And so I want to look at three things tonight. We're going to see uh, the circumstances that Paul faced. We're going to then look at uh, the cause of Paul's problem and then the courage that Paul had. And so we're going to start with the circumstances that Paul faced. Listen, you and I all face circumstances that will prevent us from our calling from the things that we know that we need to do. And so Paul, we, if you look at his life, we've been studying it since Acts chapter eight, and we know that Paul's life was no stranger to problems. If you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but the movie Groundhog Day, one of the characters, he just lives the same day over and over and over again. I mean, Paul's life is like Groundhog Day. As you read through it, it's like he's in, he's in trouble. He, he finds himself being threatened, being beaten, being left for dead. Chapter after chapter, we see this concerning the life of Paul. You can read just a brief account in the book of Corinthians about everything that Paul went through. And it's crazy, all the things that he went through, all for identifying with Christ, for seeking to be faithful to him. Paul found himself repeatedly in interesting and hard situations. And so here is Paul's latest predicament. Paul finds himself uh, under Roman arrest in the barracks, really for just identifying with Jesus. Uh, and it, Paul is arrested and he is, he is pointed out as the one that's caused this chaotic scene to happen in the temple. And then he's brought before the tribune. And the tribune, he was the commander of the Roman garrison. And the job of the Roman garrison was to protect and to preserve Rome's military and political security in the regions of Rome. And so this is why Paul's arrested, because Paul's The activity and Paul says they say Paul's the culprit. This is what the Jews are saying. Paul is the cause of all of this insanity, all of this anarchy that you see happening around the temple. It's because of Paul. It's because what he's teaching. It's because what he believes. And so to for the Romans, particularly the tribune, he would have saw this as a threat to to keeping things civil. To, to keep him peace, because that's why the tribune and why the garrison, the cohort was there, to keep things in order, to maintain Roman rule. And if word got back to somebody higher up than him, man, he could lose his job or maybe even lose his life. And so when, when he sees, when he discerns that Paul, maybe this guy is the problem and everything that the crowd is saying and they're wanting him dead, he, he takes Paul away to the barracks but notice what's happening is they're they're going away to the barracks that the crowd again is helping them out hey this is what you need to do with them just in case you don't know what you need to do with them you need to end his life you just need to be an end of it and you see perhaps there this crowd was even getting ready to take matters into their own hands and stone him it says that they were taking off their clothes and we can read, if you remember about the life of Stephen when he was stoned, before he was stoned, what happened? Guys were taking off their cloaks and they were laying him at Paul's, Saul's feet, getting ready to stone him. I don't know if this is what's happening here, but perhaps it could be happening. Paul's life is in imminent danger. And it's, again, it's all because of belonging to Christ and following after him. And then once they get him in the barracks, the tribune, He's trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? And so in in order to try to get the truth out of Paul, he's going to have him flogged. And so I want to read just briefly, uh, just a little blip about flogging uh, written by John Polhill. He just gives us a little insight into this type of torture. This was a particularly cruel manner of scourging that consisted of a beating across the raw, with the raw flesh with a leather thongs in which were inserted rough pieces of bone and metal. The things were set in stout wooden handle. This was much more severe manner of beating that the rods which Paul and Silas underwent in Philippi. And it was not uncommon for the victim to die because of this flogging. So this is what lays in Paul's future. And this is the intimidation tactic they are ready to use to try and get Paul to speak, right? What'd you do, Paul? Hey, if you don't speak up, we're going to flog you. And Paul would have been very familiar with what flogging was. He was just trying to get to the bottom of what was going on. But yet, then we see this as the centurion is standing by, getting ready to maybe begin with the flogging, Paul reminds him of Roman law. Hey, did you know that I'm a Roman citizen and that you can't do this to me? Because Roman law protected Roman citizens from being flogging before they went on trial, and even after they were found guilty. So there's a big uh-oh happening right here. Paul's not supposed to be in this situation. They're not supposed to be using this type of tactic with this man because he is a Roman citizen. And so what does the centurion do? He goes back to the tribune. He's like, man, what are you thinking? You trying to get me in trouble? This guy's a Roman citizen. And what do we see here at the end of verse, near the end of verse 22, that once the tribune discovers that he is who he says he is, and he is a Roman citizen, the tribune's now scared. Right? This, This guy's like, man, I've messed up. And so he decides, again, that he wants to get to the bottom of what's going on. Again, I'm just sharing with you, this is some of the circumstance that Paul's facing. Just think about, again, he, he's in the temple. He's been accused of causing the anarchy in the temple, all the civil unrest. Everybody's pointing fingers at him. Everybody's yelling at him. People are saying his life needs to end. People are getting ready to perhaps do it themselves in order to get the truth out of Paul because he's the one that's caused the problem, according to the tribune's perspective. He threatens him with flogging. So all this is happening to Paul. Mind you, this isn't the first time he's experienced hardship. We've already seen it. This has just become commonplace for the apostle Paul. And so what does the tribune do? He says, man, we got to get to the bottom of what's really happening here. We need to get both sides of the story, right? He should have probably done that to begin with. And so what happens? They go uh, here at the end of chapter 22, verse 30, it says, the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down to set him before them. He's like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. This reminds me of like What happened in my house growing up? Like I'm the oldest of of five. And there was this one time where the youngest sister, she like drew or spilled blue ink all over the floor and nobody in the household wanted to fess up to it. And so my dad like got us all in the room together and he like sat us down. He's like, all right, who did it? He starts with me because I'm the oldest. I didn't do it. Next brother, I didn't do it. Next brother, I didn't do it. My sister, I didn't do it. And, and he said, all right, somebody's lying. And, and then so he, he spanked us. I said, all right, does anybody want to tell the truth? And that went on for like four times. And on the fourth time, mind you, after the brothers had all gotten their fourth spanking, my little sister's like, I did it. Man, and we were so mad. But again, this situation just reminds me of that. Like the tribune, he's just trying to get... Everybody together, hey, we got to get to the bottom of what's happening here. This is a chaotic situation. Y'all are saying one thing. Paul's saying another thing. We need the truth to come out. And so let's get together and let's hash this out. And so they bring him before uh, the the, the council, the Sanhedrin. And then here, Paul shares with us, we, we really see what's behind the problem, what's causing this problem. as as he's before the council in verse 23, first Paul says, hey, look, I'm at a good conscience. I'm at a good place. I know that I hadn't done anything wrong. that, that, That I'm where God wants me to be. And then in the midst of that happening, what happens? Ananias, he has Paul struck in the face, hit him. And so he's hit in the face. And then Paul, he speaks up for himself. Now, there's much debate over uh, if, if Paul was right or wrong and what he says here next, but basically he, he calls Ananias a whitewashed wall. And what does that mean? I mean, when's the last time you were called a whitewashed wall? Never. What does that mean? Well, it's really just an old ancient word for a hypocrite. Uh, that you give the appearance of being structurally sound and well put together, but there's something deeply wrong on the inside. And so this is what he's calling him. And this is supposed to be the best of the best, the high priest. And so you can see immediately that the rest of the Sanhedrin, they are offended by this. And they bring Paul up to speed and they're like, hey, you don't know who you're talking to. This is a high priest. And so Paul I don't know if he knew this ahead of time or not. Maybe he did. Uh, I don't know how he wouldn't have, but maybe he didn't know. And he says, hey, I didn't know that. I, I wouldn't do that because the law says never to speak evil against a ruler. And so Paul then, he speaks up and shares in verses six through seven that helps us identify the cause of Paul's problem. I mean, why, why is all this problem? And then Paul, again, he speaks to this. He says, now when Paul per- Paul perceived that one Part of the council were Sadducees and the other part was Pharisees. He cried out in the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee and I am a son of the Pharisees. It is respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. So Paul starts speaking about the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And we'll see what happens, what unfolds after that. Chaos. I don't know if this was just like Uh, just a wise tactic by Paul because he knew who was in the room. He knew that the Sanhedrin believed one thing about the resurrection and the, or the Sadducees believed one thing about the resurrection and the Pharisees believed the complete opposite. And that incited a riot in the, in there. And I I just want to stop and say, though, he's not, he doesn't get real specific here. I, I just want us to be reminded church as, we go about fulfilling our calling, doing what God is asking us to do, we must remember that the gospel divides. The gospel divides. Paul's belief in the gospel was causing a problem or probably a better way to say it, it is revealing a problem. And whenever we are faithful to the gospel, in word and deed, it will not make everybody happy. Case in point, look at the life of the Apostle Paul. All the trouble that he found himself in, the death threats, the stoning, the name calling, the imprisonment, they all happened because he had put his hope and his trust and his faith in the hope and the resurrection of the gospel. But he just didn't talk about it, he lived it too. And friends, when we do that in our modern world, not everybody will be pleased with it. Everybody wants us, it's okay to have a faith, but just practice it privately. Nobody wants us to push it on us, but when we begin to do that, when it begins to get too personal, begins to prod in our life, man, people will respond. And not always in a very jovial or friendly manner. And we see this. Again, I just want to remind you, of something, uh, again, about the gospel dividing that J.C. Ryle said that helps us better understand the, how the gospel brings division. In the first place, Jesus tells us to remember that his gospel will not cause peace and agreement wherever it comes. It didn't come to send peace, but a sword, Matthew ten thirty four. The object of his first coming on earth was not to set up the millennial kingdom, in which all would be in one mind, but to bring the gospel, which would lead to strife and lead to divisions. We have no right to be surprised if we see this continually fulfilled. We are not to think it strange if the gospel divides families, causes estrangement between the nearest relations. It is sure to do many in many cases because of the deep corruption of the heart. This is why the gospel divides. It is offensive. We see a case in point here. Paul speaking to the hope of the resurrection. Immediately, half of the council that is there, they are upset with Paul. They're upset that he's getting to speak to this matter, that being the Sadducees. And yet, we we, we see on the other end, uh, the the Pharisees, as they listen to it, they are agreeing with Paul. And in a strange turn of events, I mean, this is fascinating, Uh, Paul has the Pharisees speaking up for him and defending him. And even they say, we don't have any problem with what he's doing or what he's saying. And things begin to get chaotic between both the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, if you're the tribune at this point, you just got to be wanting to pull your hair out. All you're trying to do is get to the bottom of what's going on. Why did we have this this chaotic scene happened in the temple. I brought the most respected of society together to help us get the answers to this, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, a a place that was probably usually very civil. And now they're at each other's throats. They're arguing. And the Tribune decides, man, I gotta like take Paul out of here because if he stays here longer, they're gonna get upset. And they're going to do something to him. In fact, the the, the scripture says that, man, the tribune, he feared for Paul's life. They thought they were going to tear him into pieces. And so he takes Paul back to the barracks. (laughs) Paul hadn't done anything wrong. All he's done is been faithful to the gospel. I mean, these guys are pretty much out of themselves by the way that they were acting. And yet Paul finds himself back in the barracks. Why? Because the tribune still is probably thinking about his job. Man, I got to like get control of this matter. I can't let this word get back uh, to to Rome. Man, I'm going to lose my job or lose my life. And so he puts Paul back in the barracks. And so Paul, again, he finds himself in a similar place, back in the barracks, back in prison. He finds himself in captivity. And when you find yourself in this situation, and Paul had found himself like this, many times before. I don't know what the state of his mind is. The scripture does not tell us. All we can do is presume and imagine. And that's all we can do. But we all know when we find ourselves in difficulty, challenging situations, uh, it can be a recipe for doubt, delusionment, to feel defeated or even discouraged. Right? Any one of those things. Just think about your own lives. Think about... seasons, difficult times you've had in your life. Maybe you're walking through one now and discouragement can be there. Despair can be there. Worry, anxiety, doubt, disillusionment. Man, I just want to like quit, give up. I can't keep doing this. I don't know how much more my heart can take. And yet what we see and we find here is quite the opposite in Paul in verse 11. Now, why is this the case? Again, I just want to remind you that Paul is a man. He's flesh and blood. He's just like you and I. He's not some superhero. He's just a man that is submitted to the Lord and is on board with whatever God brings into his life. And friends, this is the place that God wants us to get to because trials, there are coming. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but they will come. And God uses those things providentially to accomplish his purpose in our life, but also for the sake of others and for the glory of his name. And what we see here in verse 11 is a good reminder of why Paul was able to persevere, why he was able to continue with courage in his calling. Look at what it says in verse 11, chapter 23. The following night, the Lord stood by him. The Lord stood by him, and then He spoke. Just keep that in mind. How could Paul continue encourage all that's happened to him up until this point, and now this situation? He finds himself in prison again. The Lord stood by him, and the Lord spoke. And what did he say? He said, Take courage. For you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So now you must testify also in Rome. Paul's like, Man, this has gotten really bad. This might be it for me. But God came beside him, God spoke to him, and God told him what is going to happen next. This is not it for you. We're, We're taking this show to Rome. And this is exactly what happened. I want you to notice that word, take courage." It means to be of good cheer or to take comfort." It's the same word that we see we saw from the prepare verses in Mark 6 and also in John 6:33. The reason that Paul is able to have comfort, to have peace, to have hope, to be of good cheer in this situation, what just sounds strange coming out of my mouth is because his life, this situation was in God's hand. Again, go back and look at verse 11. The Lord stood by him and God knows what's going on in your life. He sees it. He knows it. He even sees it way before we do. And he knows what's going to happen afterward. And that should give us peace. How do we know that he knows this? Because it says the Lord stood with him. He's with us. Remember that song, the Lord of hosts, one who commands the armies, the angelic armies, he's with us. With God on our side, who should we fear? Right? This is why he says this take courage, be of good cheer, take comfort. And God is with him, he speaks, he knows what's going on. And because of this, we know, and we'll continue to see through the book of Acts, is that Paul stayed the course. Because his life was harnessed, tethered, tied to God's word. Right? You remember my story about completing the, the frightening experience that I had on the zip lines? I finished it because I was harnessed to those lines. and I made it safely to the other side. And the same is with Paul. He, he was harnessed his life to God's word, and he trusted it. Because of that, God saw them to the end. And so for us here this evening, what can we take away from this passage of Scripture? One is this, I want all of us to take courage in our calling. Now, our calling to be about the work of Christ first begins with God calling us to himself. And so if you're here this evening, God has a calling that he wants you to answer, that he desires of your life. If you're here tonight without Christ, he is calling you through his word, through his spirit, by his people to himself because you need him. You need to experience his grace You need to experience his mercy. You need to know of his love. Why? Because on our own, we're in deep, deep trouble. And friends, I say this almost every week, but why why do I keep saying it? Because I believe there are people here that still don't believe it. Oh, you know it. But there's a difference between knowing and believing. God wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that He's a God of great love. And he's told us on the front end what will happen if we reject his love, if we dismiss his mercy, his grace that he's laid out before us. And so that's where the call begins. And once we're in Christ, we have a calling. And I've spoke to it earlier. He's called us all to be ambassadors at different places, different uh scenes, to be his representatives. And being a Christian in this world, in any one of the places that he's called us to, is not easy. It's not. Being a Christian parent is not easy. Being a Christian in the workplace is not easy. Being a Christian student is not easy. And the list can go on and on and on. Nothing about the Christian life is always easy, especially when we're following God or striving to follow him faithfully. And at times, life will be overbearing or unbearable, and it will be impossible. But friends, we don't give up. Why? And we take to heart the words that the Lord spoke to Paul. Take heart. Be of good cheer, as he says in the States. Take courage in whatever God is asking you to do. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do. Whatever he's asking you to persevere through. To continue in. We can do it. Why? Take courage, secondly, because God is with you. Please know that you and I are not alone. And nor are we expected to do things on our own or to do it alone. We need to live with that reality. That expectation should saturate our minds in life. You're not alone. Why? Because we are tempted to do things on our own all the time, right? You will follow God when you figure him out. You'll never figure him out fully. Are there things in the scripture that are troubling, that are hard to understand? Yes. But that's because we are created beings. We have finite minds and it's beyond our understanding. But God is a loving father And he is patient and he is steadfast in his love. And he's wanting you to trust him. And he's made it plain, he's made it clear to us. And friends, we are to be visible and tangible reminders of that truth for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because that's what we believe. Because a lot of times when we go through struggle, when we go through trial, We try to, we can pull back when we should press in. But when we pull back, we need to have people that are willing to go, that to have a ministry of presence, not just to, to love from a distance, but to love up close and be with that individual with all their doubts, with all their worries, with all their anxieties, with all their fears. Why? Because, man, we need that physical reminder that we are not alone. And this is what the body of Christ is created for. This is why we call people as a church to to be a part of small groups. This is why we shouldn't give up meeting as some in the habit are doing. This is why online church isn't sufficient, right? I don't even know what that is. If your version of church is just going and listening online, you have not gone to church. You've just watched a video people talking about things that happen at church. You need to be known. You need to be seen. You need to be felt. This is how we help people understand that they're not alone. We can take courage in that. Man, because when you know that God is with you and you have a bunch of people with you as well and whatever you're going through, I'm not saying it makes everything better. Man, but talk about peace. Talk about Adding some pep to your step to not to lose heart. So I encourage you to remember that. Take courage in your calling. Take courage because God is with you. And lastly, take courage because God has spoken. Man. I've said this a couple times already. May the words of Christ be louder than our circumstances. May they be louder. Than our feelings, right? Our circumstances, our feelings, and how we interpret them. They have a powerful sway on our life. This is why it's so important for us to know what God's word says and to live our life by it. This is why Jesus, before he is betrayed in the, in the garden, he says what he says in John 16 Hey, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trial, but be of good cheer. Take heart, have courage. I have overcome this world. Hey, Paul, I know things are hard, but your life's not over yet. You are going to leave here from Jerusalem, and we're going to go to Rome. So I, I wish I could, could have seen that in real time happen, how, what that would have meant to Paul. But I got to believe, and we get to see that in a couple of weeks, how Paul continued confidently, even going before uh, the, the, the strongest superpower of the day, confident uh, in the Lord at what God had called him to do. May we do the same. Let us pray. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the ears that have heard this word. God, would you continue to speak to our hearts, massage our hearts with the truth of this word, that you are with us. God, that you are in us and you want to work through us. God, you want to know us. And Lord, for some, maybe the courageous step that needs to be taken tonight is they need to truly trust in Christ. So Lord, if there's one or some here that have not truly trusted Christ, Lord, would they humble themselves before you? Lord, your word says that you lift us up. That that's the spirit that you respond favorably to. And so God, I pray, Lord, that you would give them courage to, to, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, secondly, Lord, there may be people here with great struggle, great trial, Lord, perhaps depression or anxiety or worry or fear about the unknown, the unseen. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you would give the courage to ask for help, help call out to you, but also to go to somebody else. And Lord, whatever it is you're showing to us, maybe, maybe it's just a confession of personal sin. Maybe it's a strained relationship. Lord, I don't know what it is and I don't need to know, but you do. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make that clear. Lord, that your spirit would just move them, Lord, to make things right. And Lord, we can be right with you and we can be right with others because of Jesus. And we're so grateful and thankful for that here this evening. We love you in Christ's name we pray, amen. Church family and friends, if you're here and you need a matter of something to be prayed for, to my left and right, there's our prayer room. We have people that are ready and willing to pray for you. To just remind you that you're not alone. And so I would encourage you to do that if God's spirit is leading you to do that. Whatever it is God is asking of you, I encourage you to do it. Please respond to God's word as he speaks to you.